Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. Fellow Cicero Christians, good morning. We are looking at what God has said in the book of Isaiah. Okay, I'm reading Isaiah chapter 35, 1 to 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lay down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, many of us have come here anxious, weak. Some of us are dealing with large, looming trials, and others of us just a variety of trials, life in a fallen world. Lord, center our hearts and our minds on your word in the hope that we will look at it from your prophet Isaiah today. Lord, as we approach Christmas, Christmas Day, help us to look back to the birth of Christ with joy, but ultimately forward to the second coming, as that's where our true hope lies as Christians. Lord, stir our hearts and our minds with your word and your Holy Spirit, and we ask this in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, years ago, Amy and I were driving across country, and um, I've always loved the mountains. If you were to ask me, do you love the ocean more or the mountains more, I would say, hands down, I love the mountains. There's just something about big mountains and peaks. They're majestic that, that grabs my heart. And we were driving, and I couldn't wait to drive um, through Colorado 
And because you're, if you've ever made that drive, you're, you're in flat ground for, for miles and miles and miles, and then all of a sudden in the distance you see mountains, majestic mountains. But one of the things that I can remember driving through the, the Rockies and then in, in California in the San Bernardino Mountains was when you look in, in the distance, you see what looks to be like one giant mountain or one giant peak. But the closer you get to that peak, you see, oh wait, there's a few mountains. There's a series of mountains. There's one, in, in, one here, and then there's a valley and another mountain, and that peak looks like it's, it's all connected to, to that one mountain. But there's always one in the background that's looming, that's larger than all the rest. This is one of the ways we need to process this season of Advent, when we look back to the birth of, of Jesus and forward to the second coming of Christ, when the prophets speak about the hope that is in Christ, a lot of times what they do is they, they take the, the incarnation of Christ and the, the cross of Christ and then the second coming of Christ and they weave it in and out of the way that they, they speak. And we can get confused sometimes and you could read Isaiah and you could say, What's he talking about here? Is he talking about the first coming of Christ? Is he talking about the second coming of Christ? And in reality, a lot of times the prophets are talking about both and they're just not separating them. They're not separating them. John Piper says of this in the prophetic books, repeatedly in the prophetic books, you read of an imminent attack or deliverance from an enemy. So immediately, a lot of times it's like, hey, Assyria is coming and they're going to take you captive. And that's what the prophets are focusing on. But then he goes on to say, and the next moment you read about an event in the distant future with no indication of how much time is in between. So if you've ever read the prophets or when you read the prophets, this is actually just a good nugget of truth to have in the back of your head. Like, hey, they don't separate things like we do. They're going to be talking about all sorts of things. One event that's happening now, one happening in the future, and one happening way off in the future, which I would call today, that is the, the biggest mountain, the final peak Today we're going to look at Isaiah, Isaiah 35, 1 to 10. If, if you have a Bible, have your phone, that, we're going to be in that most of, of the morning um, with kind of flipping back and forward or forward to uh, Luke. So <clears throat> if you have a Bible, Isaiah 35, 1 to 10, and Luke 7, and I think maybe one or two other places, but uh, that'll cover most of it. So the the verse we're about to read that Evan just read for us in Isaiah, it's Isaiah 35. If you were to back up and read Isaiah, Isaiah has just gotten done in 29 through 34 just pronouncing judgment, judgment upon Jerusalem, judgment upon the nations. And then he's going to go to this great scripture of hope. And, and this is 
Again, something that the prophets tend to do. When you read the prophets, you're going to get confused because they're talking about judgment. You will not escape the Lord's judgment. But then in the next verse, they're talking about hope, but God will deliver you. And you got to read it. Any thinking person will read that and say, which is it? Am I under judgment or am I in this hope that God is talking about? All right, Isaiah 35, 1 to 2. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. So Isaiah is going to begin to unpack this hope. And as we read, you're going to see this is no earthly hope. This hope that he's laying out is never, cannot happen here in the world as we know it. This is a hope that is bigger in this time, the Bible would say this age. We live in the present evil age. But Jesus and the, and the apostles and the prophets, they talked about the age to come. The age to come. And Isaiah here is talking about the age to come. An Old Testament scholar, Alec Mortier, says this of this verse. Isaiah foresees the final pilgrims making their way through a glorified environment in which heaven above is softer blue, earth around is a sweeter green. All of this transforms the former desert wilderness, but those who walk through it see more than the beauty of creation. They see the glory and splendor of the Creator. Nothing now hinders the full display of the glory of the Lord and the works of the Lord. His glory is his inherent worth. His splendor is his majesty and dignity seen outwardly. So what Mortier is saying, let me just kind of um, put it in my own words, is he's saying this is a picture of God's people walking in a land that is different than any land we know. The sky above is a, is a different color. The earth around is a sweeter green. This is the resurrected earth, the new heavens and the new earth. Amen, Amen brother. Amen. And Isaiah gives this. God gives this hope to his people, but they didn't taste it. They didn't see it. They never received it. And you and I have not received it either. And this can be kind of confusing on Christmas because we look to, to the birth of Christ sometimes and we look back and we, we think, okay, this is, you know, let's celebrate Jesus. God broke in to the world. But not everything has changed. Right? If we're to celebrate, why hasn't everything changed? Look around and evil is everywhere. 
And this is one of the things we have to reckon with as Christians, and they had to reckon with it too because they had the hope of the new heavens and the new earth, and they never actually inherited it. They never actually tasted it. I don't know where you stand on the Christmas season, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. The lights, the food, the decorations, the music, the the gatherings. And I know some people are like, ah, you know, Scrooge, get that stuff out of here. I I love it. I I love it. You're going to hear me kind of at times like, I'll, I'll expose that in, in my teaching. There's something there that can, that can burden us. But I love it. There's something actually otherworldly in what we celebrate around Christmas time. It's our, our hearts are actually grasping at what we truly want, this new heavens and new earth, this joy that is un untouched by by evil, untouched by anxiety, untouched by death, untouched by sickness, pure joy. What we long for and try to create during the Christmas season is that. And that can go one or two ways with us because we can, in our longing for it, we can constantly feel like, man, um, yeah, we, we went to that party, and I was really excited for that party, and I had these expectations, but it just didn't meet it. Or that Christmas was just not what I thought it was going to be like. Who here, who, who, if you have children, and you know that at times Christmas Day doesn't go how mom and dad thought it would go, right? The kids had these expectations of like, Man, I'm going to wake up, and underneath that tree, there's going to be the iPhone, this, the you know, iPad, that, this, this video game console, and it's not always there. It's not always there. But there's something about the excess of the season that is actually proper and right and good. And let me explain here with, with a quote. A few years ago, an essay was going around, and, and, and you may have read it, you may not have read it, but it, it was in the, Christmas, or the Christian stream, but um, it was called A Christmas Rhapsody, and, and it was kind of thrown into the middle of this argument within Christianity, like how much do we pour ourselves <clears throat> into the season? How much... Excuse me. How much do we take part in all of this? If, if Advent is supposed to be a time where we're setting our hearts on Christ, that's kind of sometimes hard to do when you've got just this excess of, of consumerism all around us. And I, I know you've probably all felt that tension. And, and I know there's some in here that would say, you know, you, that's the devil. Consumerism is the devil. Get get. Get away from that. And then there's others of you in here. You love it all. And I, I think it's, it can be both. But I want to read from a, an essay and maybe give you a little different framework. And, and again, connect this to our longing for the new heavens and the new earth. Give me the vulgarity of inflated reindeer 
bobbing out on the lawn. Give me trees drooping under the weight of their ornaments. Give me snow piled up to the rafters. Give me houses so lit up that their neighbors dream at night of sunstroke. Fruitcakes so dense they threaten to develop their own black hole event horizons. Gingerbread cottages and mouse king nutcrackers and wreaths on every door and silly Christmas cards and eggnog so nutmegged that the school children carolers cough and sputter as they try manfully to gulp it down. Give me the tacky and the exuberant and the wild. And then he goes on to say, why? To represent the impossibly boisterous fact that God has intruded into this world. That God has come. So that's one of the things, as Christians, I want to maybe just free your conscience just a little, dive into the season. We're celebrating a God who came from heaven to earth to save his people. And there should be a little excess in this. There should be a little celebrating in this. And yes, it's not the thing. It's not the joy. We're always going to feel like during this season, like something is just beyond our reach. And it is. It is. We still live in a fallen world. It won't be within our reach until the day comes. And we're going to talk a little bit about that day. But because we don't have this now, we're weak. We're weak now. We struggle now. Everyone in here, you're struggling with something different. I was talking a little bit about my week in the foyer, and and I'm not going to get into it, but but it was just a week of one thing after another, and, and it hasn't stopped. And it's nothing major, but it's exhausting. And some of you in here have bigger things that you're dealing with, and that's exhausting. And that can make us weak. That can tire us out. So Isaiah knows this, and he's going on after he he talks about um, this this beautiful land that the pilgrims are going to be walking through, that God's people will be walking through. He pivots in verse 3. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. So if you just think for a minute, weak hands. Like what happens when you're anxious and nervous? Your hands can, can shake. What happens when you're, you're, you have fear? Your knees, right? Have you ever had so much fear that your knees actually shake? That, that happens, your, your hands and your knees. So he says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart. Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come to save you. So Isaiah, again, he's talking about the new heavens and the new earth, and then he goes to reality. Yeah, you're weak, you're feeble, you're anxious, but God is coming with a vengeance, and he's coming to save you. How do we walk 
through the present evil age now? And the answer always in the Bible is with the hope of the future. Always. Vintage Faith Church, those of you with an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Your God is coming with a vengeance. He's coming to save you. He's coming to save you. And that's what Christmas is is all about. We look back and we say, okay, because we know he said he was coming, he came, he fulfilled that promise, we know he's coming again. We know he's coming again. Again, and I'm going to jump into the New Testament lest we think this is just an Old Testament idea. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, he says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, capital D, if you're in your Bible, you'll notice the day drawing near. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, how do you stir one another up? How do you stir one another up to hope, to love, to good works? Look to the day that is coming. That day, the hope in that day. And that day is the same day Isaiah is talking about Right here, the day of the Lord. We, as Christians, are stirred up now. We have hope now. We live with joy now. Not because of anything here now, because of the day that is coming in the future. The day of the Lord. Isaiah goes on to to unpack what this day of the Lord is going to look like now. Here is again where... We're going to look at the mountain range because he's going to say some things that are true of the first coming of Christ. But they're also not, they were just a taste at the first coming of Christ. This will be true on the day. Isaiah 35, 5 to 7. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. So again, Isaiah is kind of unfolding even more now, this idea that blind people are going to see, people that can't hear are going to hear. The desert land where nothing is growing is going to sprout again. We have a picture here of resurrection, of new life. And our entire existence as Christians is lived in the tension between where we are now and where we know things are going. We live in the tension of how things are and how things ought to be. And I just, a word of warning here, so much of the popular American Christian theology 
It wants to take that ought to, that, that, that idea of the new heavens and the new earth, and it wants to import it into the now. Like, I can have victory now. I can live my life above the fray. I don't need to suffer. I will have money. I will have joy if I just claim this peace. And I would say that is nothing but bondage because your reality will always contradict that on this side of glory. It will always contradict that. You might have a little season of runway where things are good, but just wait. Just wait. So we live in this tension, and it creates confusion. It creates doubts sometimes in our mind. And we, we, we just have this impulse that we want, we, we do want it now. Of course we want it now. We want the new heavens and the new earth. We want death to be no more. We want our anxious hearts to never be anxious again, but that's not where we live. John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus, the last prophet, at one point in John's ministry, he was sitting in prison and he began thinking, because of this tension, did I, did I get the wrong guy? Maybe Jesus is not the Messiah. Maybe Jesus is not the, the one to come. Because John would have known the book of Isaiah, and he's thinking back to, to some of Isaiah's prophecies. Uh, the people who were walking in darkness have seen a great light. A child is born, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will reign on David's throne. Jesus wasn't reigning on David's throne. The government wasn't on his shoulders. So John's sitting there in prison and he's thinking, I thought when the child came, when the son was born, that the deserts would open up and water and crocuses and the, the, the blind would see, the deaf would hear, the layman would walk. And John's looking around and he knows, no, that is not happening. It's happening a little, and we know that. And here's the first peak, right? Jesus healed a few blind, a few deaf, a few lame. So John's sitting in prison in Luke 7, 19 to 20, and he calls his disciples to him. And he says this, Go to the Lord, say to him, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? So this is how confused John the Baptist is. Like, the Messiah, he's not ushering in the kingdom. The kingdom is not here. He's been here, he's been doing ministry, but the kingdom is not here. And this is John the Baptist, who Jesus calls the greatest man born of a woman. He's confused. Should we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, so they come to Jesus now. John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? So let's kind of take this idea personally to your own life for a moment. 
I know a lot of times when you're praying, you're praying to God, you're looking for an answer from God, you're looking for direction from God, and you think you get it, so you begin, and you begin walking, and then you run into hardship. Things are not successful like you thought they would be, and you begin to wonder, maybe God didn't actually call me to to do this. Maybe I'm in the wrong place. You just heard me last week talk about that. Because we think when we follow God, we're going to have this this success, but a lot of times it's not. It's hard. It's difficult, and that's from the Lord. Or maybe you're in here and you've given your life to Christ and and you're thinking, this isn't what I thought it would be. I thought that if I gave my life to Christ, I wouldn't have trouble anymore. Maybe my finances would get better. My job would get better. I just, I thought things would begin to blossom, but they haven't. Is this Christianity real? Is this the real thing? And if you've ever felt that and thought that, take heart. You're in the company of John the Baptist, who did the same with Jesus, as we just read. So what does Jesus respond to John with? And, Jesus, and he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. So again, now these, we, we have disciples and people that were kind of in the, the inner ring. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised. Raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So this is, this is the tension of the incarnation right here. Isaiah says when the Messiah comes that in, in a new heavens and new earth type way, dead will be raised, blind people will see, sick people will no longer be sick, there'll be everlasting joy. And what happens when Jesus the Messiah comes? Well, that does happen, but only to a few. Only to a few. Blind people receive their sight. If you've read the Gospels, you know this. But not all the blind. The lame walked in Jesus' ministry, but not all the lame. We know that lepers were cleansed, but many were not. We know that the deaf could hear again, but some remained deaf. We know that a few of the dead were raised, but overwhelmingly, they were not. And we know the poor had the good news preached to them, but not all the poor. The birth of Jesus Christ was the kingdom of God. Christmas Day, we celebrate. It's the kingdom of God breaking in to the present evil, dark age. And his life and death struck a decisive blow against evil. 
and secured salvation for his people. But it's only a taste. It's only a taste. We still live in the present evil age. You still groan. You still get sick. I still get sick. We are still anxious. We are still fearful. The light has come in the birth of Christ, but the light coming will swallow up darkness forever. And we live in between that, those mountains. So you have the prophets and, and they're looking at these mountains and, and again, the one big mountain in the back is the second coming of Christ called the Day of the Lord. And the, the incarnation is kind of in the front and it's, it's blending into that, that large mountain. And the Messiah comes on, on Christmas Day, but if, if you remember a couple weeks ago in Isaiah 64, it, Isaiah said when, when the Messiah comes, he will rend the heavens and come down and mountains would quake at his presence. That didn't happen yet. That didn't happen yet. The first coming of Christ was a humble coming. Contrast, he will rend the heavens, rip the heavens open. So that's the idea of ripping the sky open and coming down and the mountains quaking. But we know this is how Jesus came in Luke 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So there had to be a lot of expectation that last verse. And this will be a sign for you. The heavens will rend and rip open and the mountains will quake and fire will burn. That's, that's the, what the prophets were preaching about. But you have here, no, this will be a sign a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in an animal's feeding trough. Think about that for a moment. The creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who can rip open the sky, he comes as a baby lying in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals. Donald McLeod at Legionnaire Ministries says this of the angels, and, and he's got kind of an interesting take on what were the angels thinking. So he says, what, 
What did the angels think of it all? One day they blinked in astonishment as they saw their great creator in a manger in Bethlehem. They must have found the spectacle incomprehensible. Then as the days and years moved on, they saw a drama. One day, word came to, their, to them that their Lord was in Gethsemane, and one of them had been sent to strengthen him. Hours later, there came even more astonishing news. He was bleeding on the cross of Calvary. That's how it was from beginning to end of the earthly life. All down. The tremendous step from the throne to the stable and then the incredible journey from the stable to the cross. So, so he's kind of putting us in the minds of the angels. Like, they, they see this. This is the creator of the universe. He's in a manger. And then he goes to the cross. There's a certain hiddenness right now to the kingdom of God. It's known. The church is the, the outpost for the kingdom of God, but it's not known to all. It's not known to all. But there is a giant mammoth peak in the distance. A giant mammoth mountain, the one that the prophets, when they stood back and saw all this to come, were looking at. And Isaiah goes on in verses 8 to 10 to describe that. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, that's encouraging, right? Right? Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Amen. Amen. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. The true Israel, which the church, the Jew, the Gentile alike, coming in to God's kingdom, which is Zion, with everlasting joy. There'll be no unclean there, and you and me and anyone. Fools will be made wise, like not even our foolishness can steer us wrong at that point. Right now, our foolishness steers us wrong, daily, weekly, monthly. The redeemed will walk there. And it is called the way. And as you know, you might be thinking right now to the Gospels when Jesus Christ says, I am the way. This highway of the Lord is Jesus Christ, the baby in the manger who dealt with sin, dealt with Satan, and is coming again. This is the gospel. 
This is the gospel. And if you're in here and, and, and maybe you're on the fence or you, you, you're just kind of checking this out, I would just ask the question, why wouldn't you want it? And maybe you would answer that saying, well, I, I, I don't want it because I don't, I don't believe it's true. And I would just press gently on you, press in, ask God. You might not even believe in God, but your first prayer, just ask him, is show me yourself. Show me if this is true. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe in your heart, yes, you're my Lord. You died for me on the cross. I no longer want to be my own God. I need you, Jesus, and you will be saved if you believe that. For the rest of us, many of our days are just living with weak knees, feeble knees and weak hands. And sometimes we, we look past that, and I know I do this often, where you try to, to just be strong and, and deny it, and then you, you, you hit a wall. God says his strength is made perfect in our weakness. We have to admit that we are weak and that we need him. We have to admit that because he will strengthen our feeble knees and our weak hands. In the Gospels, Jesus says that the meek shall inherit the earth. That's us. If you know Jesus, that, that, that's you. That's the new heavens and the new earth coming down, and it is for us, for the redeemed. So as we celebrate Christmas this year, just the, the one seed I hope doesn't leave your head is that on Christmas Day, the light broke through. It did. But it, it broke through in a I want to say small, but in a way that will be eclipsed at the second coming of Jesus. And that's our hope. That's our true hope. If you are looking at Christmas as your hope, you're going to be confused because that was just one peak on a, on a bigger mountain range. The ultimate hope is the second coming of Christ. And it's not here yet but it's coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that often we <clears throat> try to find our hope here in this world and things of, of, that you have given us in your creation rather than you. Lord, as we approach Christmas Day, help us to understand it like the mountains, that the birth of Christ, that your son, sending your son, was just a, a step in the ultimate deliverance of your people. 
Help us to look to that day and to stir each other up for, for that day, to find hope in that day, hope that causes our hearts to rejoice now. Lord, if anyone in here is hearing me say that, that we can't rejoice now, just know that I, I pray that you can help them see it, it is a joy now. The hope of the future is absolutely a joy now. There is no other hope that can give us joy now than the future hope of your coming and setting all things right. As we sing this next, next song, help our hearts just move towards that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith Podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at vintagefaithcicero.com.